0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth om, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles.
1: For people who are not aware of the, uh, I don't know if custom is the right word, of, of segula or skulas, of, uh, you know, uh, you can call them superstitious customs, mm-hmm. actions, things that, for example, engagement hala, you know, the idea of passing around the engagement hala. So there a lot of school have to do specifically around birth um and fertility. A lot have to do around most Parnassa. of them have to do around what was that? Parnasa. Parnassa, yeah. So most have to do something with parnasa with um with you know financial well being. Um and Segulot also I think Generally speaking, are more associated with women than men, though certainly not exclusively. Um, which is also connected by challah, baking and candle lighting and things like that are often areas in which there's all kinds of segulot that uh, people do. By the way, maybe, you know what? I have an idea. Are there any segulot that come to mind? Of people for people here that either like your booby did your mom did you do things that are like weird practices like you know baking your uh, key into your challah right after Pesach right that would count as a segula or um, uh, you know breaking a plate at a wedding before the you know connected to the tanai, right all things like that um, different segulot Denise is that a, you have an example. Yeah,
2: but you gave enough. It's okay.
0: Oh, I'm
1: sorry. It's, uh, sorry. Was... <laughs> I'm
2: sorry. I'm wondering what's the difference between a Segula, if I'm saying that correctly, and an ordinary custom. Example, when people whose parents are alive leave for Yisker. I know mm-hmm. that's a minhag, but is it of the quality of Segula that if someone stayed in, they'd be ill-wishing their immediate family? Yes. I'm just
1: kind of wondering
2: parameters.
1: (laughs) Yes, so I would put that in the category of segula. um, So in the Talmud, the Talmud I don't think ever actually uses the word segula to talk about these kinds of customs. But the kinds of examples that they give are when someone says like, oh, you know, my bread fell out of my mouth or my staff fell out of my hand. That means I shouldn't go on this journey today. It's like, it's just going to be a bad day kind of thing, right? Or, you know, like like things like that where, or, you know, don't collect money from me on Rosh Chodesh or on Motzei Shabbat because I don't want to start off the month with, with a loss a financial loss right so the, all of that stuff count you know put in that category what do you call it a segula i'm calling i'm doing using school as kind of a catch-all term so yeah i would absolutely consider walking out for yisker to be in that category of, And i think uh,
3: that i think that it becomes a minhag right it doesn't start there are different categories of minhagim so there are things called like minhag kehalacha, which means if you've done something enough uh, in a community or by way of Jewish law, that it now has become as if it is Jewish law, though it actually is not. Some people would say that kippah goes in that category, um, but the, the the leaving during yisker, if you don't have someone to say yisker for, probably became a minhag in the way that we're using the word minhag to just mean general custom from this idea of a superstitious practice or or custom. Um, but in terms of the differences, I would say that a custom is is just something that's done a lot as opposed to coming with, uh, I don't know what other words use, like some kind of superstition or some kind of uh, fear behind it or hope uh, behind it that would then lead you
4: to do something over and over again. Does that well, make sense? Well, it's like when you, when you compliment somebody like your child and you go, poo, 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 you know, exactly. like you're not supposed to be saying yeah. that, but that's, you know, that's kind of what you're saying, I think. Right. So, so like throwing salt over
1: activity. your shoulder, that's a thing apparently, right? right? That's a, yeah.
4: yeah.
3: Though I don't know if that's Jewish or if that's just a Eastern European custom. I think it's Eastern European.
1: Well, so many of them are adopted, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, from, no, but
3: I, yeah, okay.
1: Yeah. From non-Jewish places, right? But right, yeah, right, so. right.
3: Um, Steve has his hands up, so maybe he has a suggestion or an example.
1: I've, I've actually heard this one a couple of times, is that if... um. If your family, your household is having bad luck to check your mezuzahs. yes mm-hmm. yes,' right Just sure. so
3: funny, yes, yeah.
1: which is funny because we have my shots when I, I feel like when I mentioned something about school, you're like, I don't know anyone who does those.
3: I know because I didn't really when when you brought <laughs> Ryan Pernick and I could do a class on how we pick the topics for the class because it's actually probably more entertaining than the classes. But when you mentioned it, I was like, no one's going to know what that is. The examples help us know what it is. Like the checking of mezuzahs, I feel like some people do, but it, but but it's more so, and we're going to get into this in a second, and then, Rai Parnik, you can answer Michael's question based on your source sheet.
1: my dad asked the same question, so. What? So my dad asked the same question also. So.
3: Oh, great. Did he also look up your birthday? I hope he had things to do on your birthday. Um who's watching Jeopardy. But, oh, great. Well, you were not the first child I was. So um, I think that, that there are elements of, of like checking your mezuzahs or eating the challah after a wedding that come with this this yearning for hope, right? Even, even I would say, and it's not a segula, but saying the Misha Berah for someone who is, who is uh fatally ill, right? That you would, that you are doing something that is going to make you feel like there's more hope or, or opportunity or, um, uh, reasoning behind whatever's happening in your life. And so you check your mezuzah because, what if in the mezuzah there's you know something wrong, and then if you if you get a kosher mezuzah, then everything will be fine. So I do think that's that's where these examples make it known to us that we do more of this than we expect. I just wasn't sure that people would actually know the term. So,
1: yeah. well, and, and so going back to the term, because um, a couple of questions about that. So uh, we asked, does this relate to um, my dad? asked, does this relate to amsegula? And so. The answer seems to be yes, right? So uh, four times in the Torah, which I know because we looked it up um, earlier in the pre-class class, um, right? But the, the first time is in the book of Exodus where it says, <inaudible> If you observe faithfully, uh, obey me faithfully and keep my covenant, <inaudible> You shall be a segula to me from amongst the nations, for <inaudible> all the earth is mine. Um, And every time the word segula appears in the Torah, it's kind of in this context of an am segula, which often is translated something like here, like my treasured possession among all the peoples. Um, But the or hachayim, who's an 18th century rabbinic commentator, whose name I forget, um, translates v'itam li segula. He says the term segula means something possessing supernatural properties as a result of which we view it as a treasure. It does not need to possess intrinsic value. He says, there are herbs, for instance, which are cold by nature and yet are known to be an antidote to cold, something illogical within nature as we know it. Uh, He says, God promises the Jewish people that as a result of their listening to his commandments and observing them, they will become such a people for God, a people whose history defies all accepted norms. So the idea here of segula is something that is sort of defies natural explanation. Um, it's sort of above supernatural, right? Above nature. Um, and, and so when God says, Vitem li segula, you're going to be a segula it's actually connected as sort of this thing that's like yeah, supernatural. It is nature cannot explain it, but it's, but it, you know, like Jewish history, which often does not follow a trajectory that would seem to make sense. Um, historically. So that's kind of this idea of segula. Uh, I have to stop share to see the, uh, or adding a name when someone is sick totally fits exactly in the same, in the same category. So, right. There's a whole conversation about what's, uh, what kind of segulot are, you know, allowed, right. You're not allowed to do divination of any sort, right. So that's kind of where it comes in is where, where do you draw the line between segulot and You know, menachish, which is one of the types of divination that's prohibited. Um, When it comes specifically to the weddings and so forth, though, uh, I'll just you know here it talks about you know different things that that rabbis in the Talmud would do. That they you know would check what would happen by opening a scroll and reading whatever would open to, and would see that as a sign. You know, Rabbi Yochanan would check what was in store by asking a child to recite the verse he was learning, and that was you know based on that verse he would sort of you know determine what was going to happen to him. Um, But there's this teaching here in Hulin, which I think is interesting, which says, with regard to one who is successful after he has built a home or after the birth of a child or after engagement or so forth, right, even though you can't use that as divination, it's an auspicious sign that you'll continue to be successful. And then the opposite is true as well. And I think that kind of plays into the way a lot of the school that we have around engagement, right? People praying under the chuppah, the chala engagement chala, like all these kinds of things kind of play into that auspiciousness of the time. You know, someone who is succeeding, whether they're just getting married, they just had a baby, they just have whatever the thing may be, like they have, there's something auspicious about, you know, about the time that they are in. And so if they pray for you, um, you know, it'll, it could help you. It sort of reminds me, has anyone ever been to like a real Hasidish Tish? Anyone? Okay. Jude has. Uh, I know I went with one of my rabbis and who's at Belzer Hasid and I spent Shabbos with him and we went to a Tish and, you know, they the rabbi sort of hands out like some fruits and some like cake. There's some kind of a cake that they make and he hands out pieces of cake and it's this whole thing um, that like people
4: are like, rushing to the front to try to get the kick that he's handing. It's actually mostly men, isn't it? Mostly the men are at the tish, right? Yeah. I, mean, yeah, I wasn't I was really involved. there. I kind of looked in, my husband was in there. Okay. <laughs> cool. So yeah. But, so that's, the one- but that's exactly what happens
3: in our episode, right? It's not from a Rebbe, but it's from, it's from a wedding, which is that for those of you who like didn't, maybe didn't catch on to exactly what was happening. Cause it was a little bit of a random moment. Um, A woman came in, I think it was her daughter who had gotten married, and she gave out pieces of challah from the wedding that had obviously been used to say mozi over at the suda following the ceremony, and that challah was given out to all of the unmarried women in the room to be this way of, uh, if you have a piece of this challah from the wedding... Like, it'll hopefully soon buy you, is what, uh, it's you like would the say. bouquet,
1: right? It's the bouquet kind of
3: feeling
1: thing. Uh, right? Yeah, People yeah. throw the bouquet, non Jewish weddings and like that. Yeah, wedding. but the
3: bouquet is only caught by one person. Right. I think. I've actually never experienced that in my life. I've only seen so, it in movies, but I, I think it's done only once. So the is is a little bit more inclusive to just anybody who needs that blessing or wants that blessing of getting married. And interestingly, um, what's her name? Uh, what they have? Thank you. Uh, says, no, I don't need it. And the woman's response is, oh, did you already find somebody? She's like, no, but I just, I don't need a piece of stale challah from a wedding. And she,
1: well, and she's like, you don't have to be, right? The person says something about like, you'd have to be from, like it's, it's, right. for, it's for non-religious people too. <laughs>
3: right. The blessing works, even if you're not from, um, right. Anyway, yeah, Renee. So one of Idan's friends from Aish got married, and before she got married, she asked for a list of all the people that were still yeah. single so that she could make a special bracha for them Yeah. Um, in in her schut. Mm-hmm.
1: Very yeah. much so, a thing. Very yeah, a thing. I
3: was just going to say, Rabbi Parnik can talk about that. You, you sometimes see that. You see it right before weddings that people sent even – I've seen it also sent out on Facebook nowadays, and it's just such a weird thing to say. Add your list. Add your name to this list so that I can write mm-hmm. for you on my wedding. I've never actually opened one of those documents, but I think that it's a little bit bizarre. Um, you've
1: never seen a man do that, though. Only women,
3: right? I've never seen a man do that. No, no it's
1: just a, I think that's a. It's just, it's just thing. the women that do it. Yeah, yeah.
3: but also yeah. the women during Kabbalah Panim, thats what they're do. I mean, they're in a traditional community. They're like davening, you know, Tehillim and and saying people's names and giving them brachot and all those things. But men don't really have that because they're at their tish and getting drunk and signing ketubahs and whatnot. Well, I guess yeah. ketubah, only one ketuba, but um but yeah, and it also happens around names for people who are ill. You'll hear of people reading to Hillam, like groups of people reading to Hillam, so that that person should get better soon. Um so yes, names is definitely the, the um the collection of names is definitely or changing thing.
1: names. You know, or people changing people names. Yes, so true. People here in New Orleans, you know, might know someone who's uh, you know, Maskiak here who changed his name because he was having, you know, had health problems and, you know, changed his name. Well or dropped his middle name and start you know, start going by his first name. Yeah. Because Rabbi
3: Schatz helped me with that as well for a friend of our family
0: where we did mm-hmm. a name change.
1: Yeah, I mean it's complicated because everyone knows this person by one name. He's, you know, not a young person, and you know it's like that's not his name anymore. <laughs>
2: like,
0: right, so right. Uh,
1: that's, uh, yeah. You yeah. It's, say something? Or...
2: As soon as she saw her boy oh boyfriend on the bus, I thought, oh, the Brad helped, the Holla helped.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it might <laughs> have. It might have. Hope is they not lost, real. right? There's yeah. still a month. He's <laughs> getting married in a yeah. month. In a month. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Plenty of time. Okay, Rebecca and Leonard. Yeah, I was just going to share it. Uh, At our wedding, any of the unmarried women could come up at the end of the reception after we did the Sheva Brachot um, and have a sip of wine from from my wine glass from the bride's cup. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's also in terms of it sometimes, and maybe this
3: actually comes from the wine custom. I know a lot of women, again, who will go under the chuppah and get, and either say a blessing or ask for a blessing to be underneath the chuppah Um, sure. to like, to, you know, to, to feel as if you are also going to be under the chuppah soon. Um, again, these are all things I've, I've never done in my life. I don't know if they would have, been, you
1: know... I'm recalling a a friend's bris in... A friend's bris. A uh, a friend's baby's bris in Israel. Um, I think it was a bris. Yeah. And, you know, her... Meaning, I know it was some kind of a baby name. (laughs) Okay, lots of jokes. It's fine. Her father was the sandak. And I remember as soon as the bris was over, everybody, like every single person in the shul lined up to get a bracha from him. And I like, yeah. had never met the father. Yeah. So he had actually started before he had started rabbinical school at HUC and then um, became from in his year in Israel and made Aliyah and moved to uh, the West Bank. And that's oh. this friend's father. Quite, quite the pivot. Yeah. Quite a pivot. Um, but, but I never met him. I knew this friend from, she was like Mishlacha at camp. Um at vermont because you know her dad wanted her to like experience some american judaism you know whatever but um but yeah i remember like every single person getting in line and i was like do i get in line like i don't know this guy (laughs) but like that every single person got a blessing from the sundack you know and you get a blessing blessing. he like not like a 10 second it was like a thing did you get one yeah
3: wow and you don't remember if it was a bris or not
1: no, it was a I was trying to That's why I was like, it was a sand doc, so it had to be a prince, you know?
3: Yeah, okay. Yeah. Just, I, okay. I just want to make sure we went back to that. To, <laughs>
1: yes.
3: it's just, a prince is like a pretty memorable event, so I just want to make sure. Um,
2: a Rachel? <laughs> when someone brought up the segula of name change when you're sick, mm-hmm. are there any other reasons for name change? I've known two women over the years. One added a middle name and the other one um, changed her name completely as part of a coming out ritual as Mm -hmm. a gay person. Yeah. Um, And I'm curious just what are... The guidelines for name changes, if there are any.
3: Yeah, Uh, Roy Pernick is laughing, so maybe he has something to share. I'm hoping
1: you have an answer to this question because I don't. That's what that's what. Really?
3: Because I was about to say you and I have 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 talked about this topic in a class somewhere somehow, and I don't remember where it was, but you and I have spoken about this. Oh yeah. Okay, well, I remember and I will answer. <laughs> um, so yes is the answer. Um, the parameters, I don't believe so. I mean, in terms of why it might happen, just life changes, I think, is a reason for people to to modify or to change or to alter their name. There's also a spiritual practice and potentially it's a sagula, I don't actually know what what like the terminology is for it but that you would ward away the evil eye by changing your name. So the, the, if you are, let's say, going through cancer treatment and then make it out as a survivor of cancer, you might change your name so that that cancer can't find you again. Um, I know. I know. Yeah, go ahead. Medical aspect. Right. So I know a few women um, who have changed their names when they started rabbinical school, actually, they just chose to go by their Hebrew name instead of their, um, their English name, but, but changed it, actually, and one man, um, changed it legally so that it was marking this new journey for them in their life. There's this new identity. So again, I don't know if there are specific parameters for it. Um, but I do know that those are the reasons in which people, people do it. And there are, There are, if the evil eye is involved, it's a segula. That's probably true. Red string,
1: Um, definitely a segula.
3: Yeah. So I think yes is the answer. You don't remember that at all, talking about that? I think you were the one who brought up the evil eye. Anyway, okay. Yeah, Jeff.
0: Uh, Would this qualify as a segula when I was a kid and I get dressed up to go out? My mother would say, oh, you have a thread hanging off your jacket. And before she'd cut it, she'd give me a piece of bread or something to chew. She she wouldn't ever cut a thread off my clothes. There was something about chewing on a piece of bread or something like that to maybe to ward off something evil or something bad happening to me.
3: Well, that sounds like the Gemara that Rabbi Pernick shared earlier in terms of bread and going on a journey. Something
1: about not cutting a garment that someone's wearing is like definitely a thing, yeah. Oh, really? Um, Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's it's like a thing about – It's it's one of these –
0: at, his, at a funeral, like when you do kriya, you cut your garment, or someone cuts it for you. So is that why? Oh.
1: No. Oh, maybe, maybe. But there's, the, it's definitely a thing about like not cutting a thread of clothing that's on that's someone, that's on someone, even if it's not like dangerous. So yeah, that definitely sounds like a segula. I mentioned here, um, Rabbi Silver, Rabbi Silver, who I think a lot of the LA people, some LA people, maybe no. Yeah, you're right. Um, she she had a she has a friend who wrote a book. Um, and about Orthodox women's religious practices. And she spoke at like a Zoom joint program with um, with um Shir Khadosh, the conservative synagogue here, and my synagogue. And she talked about, as part of her book about Orthodox women's religious practices, uh, there was a lot of the focus ended up being on home-based rituals, um, a lot of which would sort of fall in this category of segulot. And as part of her research, she <laughs> basically had a list of like, school that she knew, and then she asked people, you know, check off any of these that you know and also add any others that come to mind. Mm. Um so Denise's girls Davening. So so part of the book was about, you know, Davening, but there were also the idea is that there's a lot of sort of home-based religious ritual that's not specifically Davening, but it would count as people would see it as religious ritual. Things like, right separating challah which is a a mitzvah but like saying all these blessings around separating the challah or all these additional blessings that you say when you're lighting candles or things like throwing salt over your shoulder you know things like that um and she said in the course of her research she sent the survey and asked people oh got it sorry um to ask people you know if there's any other things that come to, to mind um yeah, well, that's interesting, Kananahara, of like...
3: Wait, just finish one thought.
1: Finish one sorry. thought. I, okay. I should close the chat. Yeah, before. just,
3: okay. Uh, <laughs> Very hard um, to follow you if you keep answering the chat.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, but she said as she was asking people to fill out the survey, and she said, you know, if there's any others that come to mind, add them. add them to your response. And, like, so she ended up with a list of, like, hundreds of things that... Mm-hmm. People said that their, you know, phobies did, or they're, you know, along those lines of, um, you might call superstitions, but they were sort of part of their religious life, um, which is, I think, an important for some people. School it are like a big part of their religious life that they, they might not go to shul, but but these kinds of things, right? It's like these, um, you know, sort of home-based rituals almost.
3: Okay, I now you that. can answer your dad.
1: The Kaninahara, yeah, I think I think the way of saying. You know, certain things like Kenai nahara or right Kenai nahara is right against the Ayin Hara, right is so it's sort of the same. That's like a verbal. Oh, again, would you would it formally be called a Segula? I don't know. It's like hard to figure out where that line is drawn. But like yeah, so certain things that are. How about
5: the breaking of like, glass at a wedding? Yeah. <sighs> to go back to the if you go back to the original, light, not to commemorate the destruction of the temple, but if one. Yeah, you know, with the idea that keep away the demons or the bad luck or, you know, you don't want to jinx things. That's yeah. something good.
3: For sure. And it's also not a piece of a wedding that you have to do. It's just a piece of a wedding now that everyone thinks you have to do because everyone does it. Um, but for sure, that's where it came from. Your son is not as convinced that that's for sure where it came from, but I am sure that that is where it that came from. That makes sense. I can see that. I mean, there's... Oh,
1: well,
5: yeah.
1: We it's have anthropological. A lot of demons
5: that are, what? What? It's it's all anthropological, the idea that anytime there's anything positive, you know, you see a baby or you say anything good, it kind of like invites in all the evil spirits. Yeah. Yeah. And so you either say Kananahara or you go poo, 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 or, you know, you put the red string or, you know, when our kids were born, Josh's booby would put like a red doll in the bassinet, you oh. know, because somehow the red had the power to keep away all the evil demons, you know. So, yeah, there are all these things.
1: Yeah. And that's how I ended up not being a demon child.
5: So, Ask <laughs> your younger brother. It wasn't successful.
1: Okay. For the jury's still out. Uh, Denise. Oh, I
0: was just going to say uh, two things. One in relation to Rabbi Pernick senior from the anthropo perspective. Um, wait, sorry. And the perspective. There's something called indexical magic, which is exactly segula's. It's, if you do something to this thing and it symbolizes that thing, it'll have an impact on that thing, whatever it symbolizes. Hmm. So, um, and it's like all the cultures do it. Um, And then as far as the wedding goes, like maybe the glass may or may not be a segula, but then if people take home pieces of the glass for a bracha, that's a segula. Hmm.
1: That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Though I think it could still be a segula even if you don't take something from it, because the idea of it being at a joyful event and and warding away that evil eye—that's what. Uh, again, we every rabbi says something different about the breaking of the glass before it happens. So I typically don't talk about the evil eye right before someone breaks the glass under the chuppah. But but I do think that that there is the, that there is a um a connection to the idea of warding away the evil eye by making that loud noise, which you hear about in medieval literature also, not just Jewish literature, um, right. but different ways in which like the spirits would go away. Uh, if you made Even the noise.
1: shofar, the red shofar is on to that also.
3: Yeah. Yeah. But again, I think that's, that all, you're, you're right, Denise, that usually it's something that you either do for yourself or that you take into your home or eat challah. Um, But that I think that this might be an aspect of that, that that just in a happy mm-hmm. moment, you also bring in that moment of destruction.
0: Yeah, but I think it's also nice that there's an idea of like at your happiest moment yeah including people and wanting to pray for them and wanting good things for yeah. people and I don't know I think that's really beautiful well and so, e- and even
3: more so to take that to even the uh the next level that you actually have the power like the Sandok at the now we know brisk or <laughs> or the or the bride at her wedding, but that you actually have special connection and power with God in those moments, and so not yeah. only can you bring in those uh kind of opposite feelings, whether it's a happy moment to a sad something or to bring healing to somebody in a very joyous occasion, but that you, that you yourself have the power to do that because of the moment that you're going through is in and of itself, kind of a mystical understanding.
1: I mean, yeah, I agree. I think there is sort of that beautiful idea of, you know, like, the way that you are, you know, in your time of celebration, it's never just about you. Schlisselhala um, is totally a segula, to, to Renee's question.
3: Yes. Um,
1: averting your eyes, to at Kohanim, totally a segula. Um, During Duchanin,
3: do people know what we're talking about when we say that? Do people, yeah, no. Okay. So, would you like to explain this?
1: Sure. Um, <laughs> when the Kohanim do Birkat Kohanim, or Duchanin, as we call it, um, you know, they sort of have their hands up, and you're supposed to sort of not be looking up, um, at them when they're, when they're duchening, when they're blessing the nation, you know, blessing the people. Um, I remember my first duchening experience that I remember. We were at my uncle's synagogue in Boston, and the Koine were duchening, and my uncle was like, don't look up, don't look up. And, you know, and my little brother looked up, and his nose started bleeding, like immediately, you know, and it was, uh, yeah, they are like, yeah, that's what cool. happens. Yeah. It was, so. It works. It does work.
3: Um, other thoughts or questions? Yeah, Renee. Not a question. It was just kind of humorous. My one of our just one of my cousins married a, a non-Jew, and my my great aunt was obviously very much against that. And so when it came to breaking the glass at the chup, at the wedding, the glass went through his foot. She's oh the no! This was a signal that they should never have been together to begin with. Boy, Dad, you have terrible. some stories
1: along those lines, don't you? Okay, you were going to share tons oh. of them.
3: That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty great. Yes. Wow. Um, yeah, Sue Ray, you have to unmute first. I think you might be talking, but you have to unmute. Oh, you're still showing the book. I uh, just, oh, un- just unmute, unmute. Yeah, there you go.
2: Okay, I have a cousin that wrote a book, the Sagula, Sagula the Gift, and one of his things he asked me, did I ever grow up with my mother or somebody saying a Kenahara? And I said all the time. And he said his mother would say like me or whatever before she would say Kenahara, meaning not to do it. Not a Kenohor, you know, in case it was an evil eye type hmm. thing, which is interesting. Yeah, that is interesting.
6: Hmm.
3: Um, had anybody ever heard of the the Chala bit that you saw in the episode? No. Yes, Renee had. Yeah. Denise had. I um, I
2: had not. It was new to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a
3: very, I had heard of it, never experienced it, but, um, similar. Wedding
1: cake, similar. I think there's a wedding cake thing also. Maybe
3: Do you take home wedding cake? I don't think so. Oh, what you mean? I think if I can interpret what I think. Some people, some
1: people I know save their wedding cake. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: but that's the couple.
1: No, I know. That's a different thing.
3: Okay, great. Um, but I don't think it's for like good luck. I think it's just so you can have wedding cake in the year. Seems, yeah, okay. Um, I lost my train of thought, Josh. Uh, Okay, yeah, Michael, go ahead.
6: I, lost. I have a question. I put it up in the chat first to just Senior Rabbi Pernick and then to everyone. And I'm curious if either of the rabbi, any of the three rabbis, four yeah. rabbis, four, Rabbi Barbara yeah. rabbi wants to comment. And that is that Hodaya was allowed to supervise a class while it was davening. And I know she wasn't teaching a religious class, but given how the headmistress is so firm that Hodaya is only teaching secular subjects because she's non-religious, uh, I was a little bit surprised that she was allowed to be the teacher in the room at that moment.
3: Yeah, I. They talked about it during her interview, right? They said, "Just so you know, you're going to have to be at shulah, you know, once or twice yeah, a week." Remember that.
6: Go. Yeah, yeah, but still it surprised me a little bit. They would let her do that. And she even I does do. the
1: whole knocking the table and saying yalab yavo. So yeah, she's, she's yeah. You know, she I
3: think that I, I think in, in Israel specifically, you don't necessarily have to be from to know how to daven. And so for them, I think they, and also remember, she grew up from. So I, I think that, that. They are, they're able to, um, to feel as though she's going to know what, what to do and the choreography and clearly when it's Rosh Kodesh. Um, but that it, whether or not she's actually davening or that would be her practice, she knows how to help them daven because she grew up around it. She sees it happen around Israel all the time. It just isn't as unknown of a factor as I think it is in America. Um, and it's also not was, that she, she's
6: not not Jewish, so yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, my only surprise was that the headmistress would, quote unquote, trust her in that role, given the fact that the headmistress knows she's not not yeah. religiously observant at all. Forget about throne, yeah.
3: yeah,
1: but it's just a matter of sort of like keeping, keeping the decorum. Yeah, they're sort of diving on their own. My dad brought up and I had forgotten in, or right, I think it was the first season of Sugeem where um ifat who like finds out that they didn't have a kiddish for her when yeah. she was born and that's why she's not married yet right people but, remember that,
3: yeah, is that yeah
1: yeah that whole thing so like totally right that is exactly the same kind of
3: You totally i forgot about that
1: yeah me too uh
3: denise
0: so back to hodaya i remember at the interview They were asking her in general about um, the religious environment and Midod and things like this. And she says, I think I can give it over. She says that to the headmistress in her interview. And it struck me because I, I believe this the whole time. Sorry, there's a siren. I believe this the whole time that Hodaya isn't necessarily a person without faith. I think A lot of what she's rejecting, I know people who've done this, even my grandfather did this, is rejecting the strictness around it. And you have to reject the religiousness because it's part of the package. But I don't think that in her depth she's necessarily an atheist. I think she just doesn't want that whole package. And so it just made me wonder, you know, if maybe the headmistress senses that, or if even the headmistress is kind of giving her a little bit of space to figure out her own relationship to all that stuff.
3: Yeah, I would also say that and right, I can correct me if I'm wrong. But I would also say in the, in the from world, if you grew up from and then you decide to get less from or even become secular, the from world already is like, they assume that you're going to either come back to the from world or that you have enough knowledge and you're just choosing not to use it. The opposite is harder for the from world that you didn't grow up from and now you have to prove yourself to be from. And that, that is more skeptical in the from world's mind because how do you know how to be from if you didn't grow up that way? And so prove, prove yourself to us that you really are from, that you don't, you know, use lights on Shabbat and you don't rip toilet paper and all these kinds of things. Prove that to us and therefore you are from. Whereas the opposite, I think, there there's a, a certain sense of you'll come back to us and so what you what the headmaster in my opinion i don't know if this is true but in my opinion what the headmaster is showing us is that even though she's not from currently what is not currently from that she has the knowledge she has the connection she just
1: needs to tap back into it i think Totally. yeah that makes sense and I, yeah i think even the the whole thing with the and it's like oh you don't have to be pro, right there's, there's a hundred percent assumption that she's going to become, you know, she's going to come, come back. the fact that she's in a Ulpana in a girl's high school, like they all assume she's going to become, she's going to come back to uh, come back to being from, and it's sort of like, we're allowing that opportunity. Okay. You don't have to do it. Just hang out while they're davening and write all of this. It'll like, yeah, but I, I definitely agree with everybody shots about the idea that, Someone who, who was raised secular it would be a different story. But here it's like, she knows to knock on the table and say Yalev Yavu, right? Like she knows, she knows what's going on. And also there's an assumption that this is going to be part of her process of coming back.
3: Does everyone know what Yalev is? No, okay. So Yalev is a part of the liturgy that's inserted for for them. That particular day was for Rosh Podesh. So what? Tonight, tonight.
1: What? Tonight. Rosh
3: Kodesh. Yes, to, yes, but I'm talking about the episode. Night yes. Kodesh. Tonight that's also the begins so when the Rosh Kodesh. Know when
1: they daven mariv later. It's Rosh
3: yes. Oh yes, when you all daven mariv later, and okay. for those of you on the podcast who will daven Shachrit in the morning, um, you will say Ya Whether that's in Birkat Mazon if you're going to eat and and uh, and bench afterwards, or if you're davening, you would insert Ya into the Amidah, and so. But what Rabbi Pernick is pointing out is that in, you don't want to speak, um, my congregants know this. I don't know who else does, but you don't usually speak in between the barhu and the end of the amida because you don't want to make a hefsek. You don't want to have any kind of page number calling or anything like that in between. And so you bang on the table to let people know that they should insert yaleviyavo if they've forgotten that it's Rosh Kodesh. Uh, in that particular scene. So tomorrow morning, if you're at Temple Beth on Minion, we will bang on the table and say, yeah, so that people remember to insert that. Um, And I just remember that that means I have to be at Minion 15 minutes earlier, which is never fun. Okay. Yes, Rebecca.
4: (laughs) So I remember as our, as our daughter went to um, Pressman Academy, um, the day school at our, at our conservative shul, Uh, I remember so in elementary school, as they were learning um, Tfiloth, the prayers in Hebrew, it was their Hebrew teachers, uh, their Hebrew language teachers who were teaching them. And in several cases, these were um, Israeli native Hebrew speakers that taught them Hebrew, and they were not observant. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they knew the tunes, you know, they taught them that was part of what they were doing and leading in the prayers. And then when there'd be some sort of a, you know, culmination or something, you know, and, and, and services, and they would do that. So I remember thinking at first, oh, this is kind of strange. It's like a secular Hebrew teacher who's teaching them to but then it wasn't strange. So yeah. it was, was part of what they were um, teaching them. Right. And so much of a
3: day school education is, is also the language around the filo, not necessarily the the practice of their halacha around, and so yeah. Though it seems strange, it also similar to what Hodeya is doing. She's really just in charge of the choreography, just to make sure that they know when to stand, when to sit, when to say certain things. She's not. She's not the shatz, right? She's not leading the davening. She's just there. um She's just there to make sure the choreography happens. I just want to mention one more thing about the topic uh, before people can share other thoughts. But one thing that I haven't said yet. I think that one of the, one of the elements of, of believing in or practicing these different is the, is the idea of false hope Um, and that people can really pour themselves into this idea of if I eat that challah, the next man I see is going to be my husband. Or if I give that name to the sandak at a brist, for sure that person is going to be healed. And, and not that we necessarily believe that, right? Not that, that, not that we are so naive to think, oh, of course that's going to be true, but that you put your hope into those moments. And I think for some of us, that's hard. I know for me personally, that's a very hard thing to, to buy into that. You would have different elements, even like Zodiac type uh, uh, horoscope, I guess is what you would call it type things where you can look up your horoscope and it's going to tell you what's happening for you that month. Some people love that. For me, it's a very difficult thing because then you you learn something about yourself from some random, you know, magazine writer. And all of a sudden now, everything that you see throughout that week, you think somehow has to have a meaning or a sign or this or that. And so, not to say that they're not important or not um, valuable to people's belief system and ways of connecting to their own identities or to their future, um, but I think that there also there also are pieces that can be small D dangerous in terms of putting all of your hope and all of your energy into these types of um, superstitions. Uh, similar to the checking of the mezuzahs, right? If there's something really wrong, God forbid, with someone in your home and you check your mezuzah and it, you know, has worn away because that's what happens to mezuzahs, for you to believe that that's the only reason that the person in your home is sick, it is naive in a way. So I think that, that to me is the challenge with, with these types of superstitions and not to say that I don't play into them or don't, um, Think of them sometimes or see connections to them sometimes, but I do think there's elements of, um, of false hope. And one last thing, uh, today, today would have been my uncle's 61st birthday. Um, and my aunt, since he died a few years ago, whenever she sees a hummingbird, she thinks of him. They, they had a thing with a hummingbird once. And so then when he died, every time she sees a hummingbird, she feels like he's, he's there with her. And I, I I don't know that I buy into that, but every time I see a hummingbird, I think of my uncle. And so I think there are, there are elements of these segulot that, that even if you don't a hundred percent buy into them, you do want to have an element of, of hope in them or, or want them to be true. Because that's what they're there for. They're there to make you feel like you can change something or something's going to be good for you in the future or someone's going to get better. So I just wanted to add that little, that little piece. Uh, yeah, it can give you comfort. Exactly right, Judy. Exactly. That was all. D-Bar T. Any other thoughts? Comments? <clears throat> Hi,
0: Debbie.
4: Okay. What's I was going to yeah. say, so so that it gives you comfort and you kind of maybe want to believe in it is why, um, I don't know if we said how Hodaya at the very end when she retrieved something that she threw into the sink, I, I didn't really realize what that was, but it turned out it was the challah. So yeah. she mm. went to it and she, you know, was eating some in, you know, the last two scenes or whatever. So yeah. it's like, okay, you know, you never know, maybe this might help. And it doesn't you know, hurt. Right. All people
1: in. say it doesn't hurt. All
4: right. Right. So right yeah exactly
5: um
3: yes inserting a prayer at the Kotel. oh man yeah i I don't know if that's i don't i don't know Would would you consider that a segula
1: i mean i'm also thinking about like kaddish right there are ways in which saying kaddish yeah every minute right it's like not it's a late addition to the jewish liturgical process Kaddish yeah. generally and a mourner dafka saying Kaddish, like mm-hmm. all these things are like much, much later editions. but it, like, so there's very much that kind of, that kind of like, I need to do this and people will freak out if they miss a minion. You know, some people are like, I, I do it three times a day, every day. And if I miss it, it's like. You know, I'm letting my loved one down. Like, like, right? That's a thing that people feel. So there's a, a yeah. similar element there. Does that make it a segula? I don't know. I mean, it's supposed to be a zahut, uh merit for them. So it's kind of in, I would say, a similar category. And there's ways in which these different categories of things do kind of blend together. And sometimes they blend together in ways you're like, oh, that seems, I don't know, you know, you know, problematic or, or so forth. Um, so. They're, right, And I think certainly they don't fall within a rationalistic approach to Judaism, but so much of what we do doesn't fit a purely Maimonidean rationalist framework. So they- And you know,
3: allows, allows you connection, maybe when you don't feel like you have one. Like that's what know. I think Kotel notes are, right? That mm-hmm. you're kind of going to the source or at least people believe they're going to the
5: source. But you know, when somebody, for example, has problems becoming pregnant, and that was something that we had. It seems hard to believe now, but you know, originally. And so, you know, Ruthie's aunt, you know, put a quittal in the coteal. And some people, some women, will pray at Rachel's tomb or at different sites, you know, because these were people who were associated. And that's the idea that by doing that at that particular place, it'll bring about the result. Right.
3: That's I mean, horrible. similar to what Josh said, like it doesn't hurt, right? And if you're in a, if you're in a place of Really wanting something that you haven't received in all the other ways that you've asked for it, whether that's prayer or medical intervention or, you know, whatever it is, you might as well do the thing that sometimes has worked for somebody that hopefully could then work for you too. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with them whatsoever. And I, I think that there's, there's deep meaning in connecting yourself to those, to those different, um, customs. Or, or getting a bracha from a rav, from like
2: a you know yeah. a big rav.
3: It's not, not a rabbi, but a big rav. So With rabbi. A rabbi. beard.
1: Unshaven, yeah. Well,
3: you don't have a beard, so we, you can't be a rav. A little bit of a beard. I also can't be a rav. No. Okay, Denise. Um,
0: I think that sometimes just being open to those kinds of segulas or brachas, or different things. I think just the act of doing it, like even Horeya when she picked the challah from the sink, like it softens you a little bit. You know, it just it just gets you more connected to that place in your heart that feels like who knows what's possible and miracles can happen at any moment and butterflies can land on your shoulder and all those kinds of California thoughts. Yeah, and and in that way, I think they can be very effective because it just makes you more of open and receptive and you know you might you might talk more openly to somebody than you otherwise would have because you're just in a different place or yeah. things like that
4: yeah it might humble you it humbles you a little bit
3: uh, I think true yeah yeah, it makes you feel like you need to be connected to something bigger than yourself, which is that humility piece. Um, that you aren't the only person who can have control over whatever is happening, but that you need you need that guidance and that support and that help elsewhere.
0: Oh. Yeah, like it just makes you feel like the world is a good, friendly place. hmm
1: mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: This
3: became such a nice topic, Rabbi Pernick.
1: Yeah, schoolers are always good. Never, yeah. You know, it never hurts to do talk about schoolers. Ah, uh, very good